good to have you with us, mate. And again, I really appreciate your time hopping on this. And, and, and you know, we've been trying to do this for a little while and COVID makes life complicated and difficult. So I really appreciate it. Um, no, it's great to be here. Cool. That's no, good being here with you, Aaron. Um, you know, when I first reached out to Craig, one of the, one of the, the big things I want to talk about is, is um, business and ethics and its relationship with ethics and also that fine balance between business and family and trying to remain ethical in both spaces. And the reason why I reached out to Craig is Craig has a really good, um, has a really good track record of both being a pretty strong entrepreneur. He spent some time in the business space, certainly building businesses, uh, facilitating with, with business people and building those networks. But also as well, I know that Craig is a super strong family man and mm. you know, being able to find that balance. And that's why, you know, I've connected with you on this one, Craig. And why don't you take a Thanks, little man. bit of time? Why don't you take a little bit of time to talk about yourself, introduce yourself, who you are briefly and... Yeah, um, so I'm Craig Moulton, a uh, 48-year-old gentleman, um, born and bred in Victoria and uh, um, grown up in a, in a strong Christian home uh, all my life. Um, um, grew up in, in Ramwandan as a young kid um, on, a, on a little hobby farm with the family, went to a little local primary school. Then in high school, went to uh, Oxley College, um, which is a good private school, Christian school out in the eastern suburbs of Melbourne. And um, had a really great experience there and a lot of great foundational stuff that you learn at school. And a lot of those connections were pretty pretty strong growing up. Then went through the uni afterwards. Um, I did a business degree majoring in accounting, law and marketing. Um, uh, we'll give you a bit of background. The family's always been in small business. Um, uh, the family's been in Christian ministry distribution businesses since the 1940s. Uh, my grandfather founded a business called the Gospel Film Ministry back in 1946, which was a pretty um, interesting ministry whereby we showed 16mm films to churches around the country um, about the gospel of Jesus Christ. Um, and, you know, Grandpa was sort of known as a bit of a film evangelist and his his son, Norm, his two sons, Norman Stan, went into that business of that ministry and that grew over the years through various forms of physical product distribution, Bible distribution, book distribution, um, I went through many different um, inversions over the years from wholesale distribution, retail stores. Um, after university, after Dad said the boys had to go get educated properly, we uh, I got involved in the business, my brother and I, and with that more of a commercial mindset and a passion. Obviously, I see passion is one of the most important characteristics of you got to have a purpose and believe in what you're actually doing. So my brother and I got involved in the business, uh, working for our father and during the late 90s and 2000s, sort of developed a pretty strong um, Christian bookstore chain and online digital business, um, electronic books, that sort of stuff. Um, we had probably about 20 stores and a couple hundred staff working for us in the heyday. Um, and that was great. We sort of managed everything from, you know, HR, logistics, um, market sales, marketing, product purchasing, all the different elements of business financing. We do a lot of property development at the time for our own retail stores. And we sort of dabbled in a lot of different areas. Um, probably one of the, and that was a real, real great thing, a great ministry for the family. We really had a great, God had a great purpose for our family and in, in being pretty instrumental in distributing content that equipped churches and families and really shaped the Christian culture of the, of the community in Australia for, for many years there. And it still goes on today. My brother's continuing on with that. Um, I'll just keep going a bit, Aaron, about this story. So basically, um, 
you know, the world was changing in probably the mid 2010s. You know, at 15, 16, a little thing called Apple iTunes came along, and a little thing called eBooks came along, and a little company called Amazon came along, and the way people consume content changed from actually picking up a physical cassette tape, CD, video, DVD, whatever it was. Uh, there no longer needed to be a physical location to pick up that content. And obviously the, the model had to change. And, you know, it's hard making the tough decision. But the lesson I learned over the years is when you see something's changed, you either wait and you go down and you lose the whole thing or you see God's face, you make the tough decision, you look for future, you look for purpose and you, you've got to do what you've got to do for the next phase. And we did that. And it's one of the toughest things ever in my commercial experience was was sort of like winding down a pretty successful business that we'd spent 20 years building. Um, but then we changed it to an online you know, um, internet business, which obviously had a bit more long-term viability and obviously is where the world's at. And, you know, as a guy got amazing purpose, you know, now with what we've had the last two years with COVID, physical stores have been a liability and digital online selling has been the way everyone's using the buzzword. Um, and then probably what, you know, a bit of a into this connection here just to finish off this story. Um, my wife had studied to be a, a dentist back in the early 2000s and we had this sort of a story one day when the kids are older, we'll, uh, we'll open up a little practice, you know, like developing things, got a bit of a creative spirit to develop interesting business models and doing something a bit more unique and interesting. So I said, honey, you know, we'll find a, you know, one day we'll open a uh, our own clinic and put our own little buzz to it and our own little personal touch to it. So, you know, the way God works is amazing. Um, you know, a bit of real estate opened up where our main practice is in Croydon on a corner of a main, main road in Maroondah Highway in Kent Avenue. And we thought we'd just, you know, buy a bit of real estate, park it for a few years, and then when the time was right. Um, at the same time, the retail business at work was changing and the dental thing came on board. And as one thing sort of came to an end, Another door opened and my family decided to walk through a different path and my brother went on to run the, the word business, uh, the Christian bookstore business. And over the last you know, 10 years, um, the dental business has become something of our, our future for our family and that's where we are today. Yeah, that's amazing. Yeah. I, I, if anyone's listening, they, they probably would have at some stage seen a word bookstore. That's what we're talking about here, isn't it? Was word yeah, bookstore. correct, correct. Yeah. And was it was it called Word Bookstore the whole way along or was that a transition brand yeah. change? Yeah. So the original parent company was called the Gospel Film Mystery Limited because we used to sell gospel films, yep. Christian yep. films. And back to the 70s and 80s, we started the name Word, which was a good, you know, the Word of God, Word, whatever, and it was a brand out of America too. And we started trading as a Word Bookstore, just using that same brand. So through the... 1977, I think the first store opened, but 70s, 80s and 90s, the Word Bookstore was the brand. We got the internet domain word.com.au, which is pretty amazing, getting that Word brand back in the mid-late 90s. Um, and that Word Bookstore brand, you know, was the second largest Christian bookstore chain in the Southern Hemisphere for about 10, 15 years. And it was um, a, real, a real privilege to, to share the gospel to that, that business, you know, as always always challenging running business, but we, we had some major changes for our community through what we did there. Absolutely. And that's a serious size business. Did you say a couple of hundred employees? That sounds about right. Yeah. So we had 20 stores around the country and we had some pretty serious stores, like a thousand square meter stores and we had four cafes in the big stores and we have teams of probably 25 staff in the big stores and 
you know, a big distribution centre where we had about 15, 20 staff in the distribution centre and then uh, 30 staff in the head office doing everything for marketing, um, marketing, purchasing, accounting, HR, logistics, all that sort of stuff. So, yeah, in, in probably 2012, 13, it was the boom time. Yeah, it was just, um, you know, physical product was what people wanted and that was, you know, CDs were at its, its peak and um, before the whole digital model came and before online, we always had a big mail order catalogue and people loved buying mail order, but it was through a printed catalogue. Um, but it's really in those 2010, 11 years whereby people really started jumping onto the internet in a big way. And you just look at Amazon's growth, the way they've gone. They've always been booming, but they've been a big shift in the last five to 10 years in their growth. Yeah, absolutely. It's <laughs> been, man, there's been some serious change in that retail space. Like unbelievable mm. amount of change, moving from bricks and mortar to e stores, and yeah, I, look, I jump in on that point there. Look, I was even just thinking this last few days. Yeah, you know, God's provision and His purpose for us is amazing. Imagine if we had had so many stores in Victoria and New South Wales that have been shut so many times over the last two years economically. Um, it would have been a very challenging business environment to be in. Whereas being an online business, it's protected and keep going as a business. I'd love to know the data on, with regards to the number of businesses that said pre-COVID, there's no way I can do online business on bricks and mortar shop. No one will ever yeah. buy anything, you know, online that I sell. COVID comes, whack. They're yeah. forced, you know, necessity is a mother invention, right? So they're forced to then jump to an online retail space. And what do they know? They've probably tripled their sales. They don't need their yeah. bricks and mortar store anymore and they've got out of their lease. I was looking at this the other day. I was looking at a... a um at Kogan's financials just because I was looking at the TV and it, the web link went through there by instance. Their sales were going by 20% every year like the last few years. But in the last two years, they've gone up by 54% and 84% from like 200 million to 500 million in like two years. It's gone boom. That's unbelievable. Um, right place, right time. I uh, I walked into a couple of word bookstores <laughs> in my time. I reckon I might have purchased... I reckon I lost two Bibles and brought three Bibles from you guys. So yeah. I've, still got, I've still got the third one. So that's not too bad. You know, and I've got a library here at home here and I've got every Bible that's ever been published, I reckon, in this library. But now when I read my Bible, it's on my phone. <laughs> I've got these beautiful leather Bibles. It's just the way the world's changed. Yeah. Well, what is it? Is it, is it you version? You version. You know, it's got everything on there. Yeah, man, that's an amazing story, listening to Craig Groeschel talk about that yeah. and his timing around uh, establishing one of the first Bible apps. Back when apps were this unknown creature, mm. you know, people hadn't yeah. quite, I suppose, um, recognized the power of, of, of apps and they were only yeah. just getting some traction. I think he tells the story in one of his leadership podcasts that, you know, he had this vision to create this app and, and he was, you know, in there with his dev team. It was a really small bunch of guys. I think it was one guy that knew how to code apps at the time. Mm. It wasn't a common skill set, right? And yeah. he 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 went with this idea and this guy coded an app and they did it and then they launched the app and I think Craig, or as they call him, Greg, you know, Craig, Craig yeah. was trying to work out how the launch went and he came in the next morning or or something along those lines. I'm just paraphrasing here. And there was some obscene number of downloads straight yeah. up from the get-go, and then he realized from there. And I think it gets downloaded 250,000 times in whatever frequency. I forget the time frame, but it's some obscene number of times. Yeah. And, and, you know, with that story, what's amazing too, obviously having a bit of history dealing with all the Bible publishers like Tyndale and Zondervan and so forth, the amount of millions of dollars they spend in developing a translation and doing a new NIV version or a new living translation, they 
get hundreds and thousands of scholars and reviewers to create this content, to then have an app that gets this content for almost free and to actually take that content and use it, that's a seismic shift in the way the content is distributed where they usually sell a cheapest, you know, $29.99 leather basic text Bible. Now they're getting on an app that's actually got no economic value to have that shift and to actually have him having the success to get all these translations to be part of his um, family and portal. Pretty amazing. Yeah, absolutely. So so pretty pretty hectic time for you. You, you obviously got some serious business governance going on, a lot of moving parts, a couple of hundred staff members. How many SKUs did you have? Thousands of SKUs throughout. Oh, the database was like, I think, 125,000 items, and I think we stocked about 35,000, 40,000 different items from, you know, pens with Jesus Loves You on it to lexicons to interlinear Bibles through to, you know, giftware, mugs, T-shirts, anything with Jesus Loves You on it, uh, we, we were involved in. Everything to promote the Christian faith and lifestyle. Yeah, absolutely. I remember walking into a few of your stores and I was blown away by how much you guys offered from a product perspective. It was far-reaching. It was unbelievable. Mm -hmm. Uh, And so from your time there governing that business, what was your title in that business? What were your actual, you know, day-to-day role? Yeah, so obviously I grew up in the family business. So, you know, one of the things as a kid, we never really had school holidays. I was in the warehouse as a 10-year-old sweeping the floor. Um. You know, the, the family business was, or ministry was our family's life as a kid growing up. I knew, knew nothing different. Um, so as a kid, I'd done everything from every Saturday working behind a shop and uh, through to, you know, selling at concerts, through to uh, every different element growing up, going through uni. But, you know, Dad said, unless you boys uh, got economic um, understanding, adding value to the business with a good business acumen and some, you know, some structure in your knowledge, it just wasn't jobs for the boys. So basically when we got in there, worked through all different areas of the business, you know, did everything from working on shops through to working in the purchasing department to the marketing department, um, sales, you know, marketing sales, a bit of my flair that I like to do. Um, so at the end of the day, um, through those years, my prime role was the marketing and the purchasing areas. So I managed the, the buying team of probably five buyers of different categories and then the printing of the catalogs and the making of the word catalogue um, we, we did probably, we used to print about 120,000 of those every edition and did about 16 of those a year. So we had an art, graphic artist team and all that, did that in photography team and all that. Uh, so I managed that. And then over the years, my brother and I sort of managed development of new stores. So we'd acquire our own real estate, develop the physical property, the real estate, and then fit it out with a pretty contemporary retail environment. Um, and yeah, that, would, that was pretty much the area of um, my responsibility. Wow, that's that's quite far-reaching, and there's a lot of moving parts there for sure. So, the 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 day-to-day sounds like it was pretty full. How many hours a week do you reckon you're working? Out of curiosity. Uh, so probably I'd start at seven thirty, seven forty-five, and be finishing. Look, before the kids came along, it was a lot more. Um, it was probably six six thirty most nights. And lunch would be a lunch meeting with my father, my brother, you know, having lunch, talking about if you have, if you have a working lunch, basically. Yeah. Um, yeah. Unless you need to nick down the bank or something like that. So, and then, yeah, at home, when you started having devices and Blackberries at home, you'd be doing your emails at home back in the, the early 2000s. And, yeah, and then weekends, you know, you'd always be there on Saturday or and then special events on Saturday and Sunday. So as a pretty, but as, as a leader of a company, you're probably doing less than 50 to 60 hours a week. 
Yeah, and that's a, yeah. that's probably a normal week. And you know, if you have peak season yeah. or anomalies during the week, yeah. it's probably going north. Christmas. Yeah. yeah, 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 yeah. And that's and that's that would have been a huge challenge for you to balance. You know, certainly pre kids. You no, know, you know, I've always got this saying, and and it, it, it's it's it, it's probably the dangerous sounding arrogant, but I, I I say to people, if if you know, if I didn't have kids, I'd be prime minister by now. <laughs> Yeah. Oh, yeah. Like, yeah, your, your, like, your priorities change. Yeah, pre pre kids, man. You got so much time. Yeah. like you got so yeah. much time for extracurricular activities. You can throw your whole world at work, man. There's no dramas there, right? But but, but yeah, it's true. But like it, people, you've always got time to do what matters. You know what I mean? And I think people waste a lot of time on silly things. Yeah, filling time with things that matter. Um, yeah, time management is important. You've got to balance your life to sleep exercise you know mental spiritual health as well as work you gotta yeah and we all fail in those areas and we've got to check ourselves up every now and again on these areas to improve yeah. it yeah yeah, yeah. Um, yeah. That, that that requires constant um correction there's no doubt about it like there's no there's no one time that you've you know you've set yourself in motion on your key disciplines and then you've forgotten about it and woken mm-hmm. up 10 years later and realized you've been perfect it just doesn't yeah. work like that right that's a, a pretty nah. and and there's seasons too like there's times whereby you know you just got to smash something out and for a month you're gonna be crazy but then you've also got to say hey no i've got to take care of the family and the kids and do this right you can't you can't consistently be stretching the muscle and not let it come back without it tearing or breaking so how did some of those lessons come to you you know you, you you're managing of you know a large, what I would call a large business by most people's standards. Um, and there's a lot of moving parts. It's, it's you know, quite quite all-consuming, no doubt, if you let it be. How are you managing your, your sort of your, your personal life? You know, that's like managing your commitment to family while still managing and being effective at work with time management and, and yeah, being an effective see, leader as well. Yeah, it's, it's really imp- – I think – when you when you're at work, you need to focus on your work and be productive and really make the most of your time. A lot of people aren't effective users of their time at work, so they they're just false economy. So you know when I'm when I'm working, I'm on you know, I'm on the ball and I'm doing it. So I might go into a meeting and rather than spend half an hour, you know, having the chit chat, you let just get in there and, and do it. Um, very task focused, you know, uh, minded on things. So. Um, we're not wasting time. So then when I do go home, you know, I'm not having to pick up the phone and, you know, do all the issues that he resolved during the day because I wasn't being productive during the day. Um, um, I think in terms of, you know, now compared to back in the word days, um, my job is more when you're doing dentistry or healthcare, you're actually helping people at the time. So the product and the service is being delivered when people are actually there during the hours. Whereas the traditional business was you're doing strategy and ideas and concepts. And where does it stop? You know what I mean? There's this, you can keep going on and on and on. You've got to make conscious choices where, okay, I'll put the bat down and we'll go home now and we'll fight again tomorrow. Um, whereas at dentistry, you know, your patients go home or you're done for the day. The dentists, the nurses are gone home. The business is shut. Um, so I've got a bit more of a luxury now that we can be busy or as quiet as we want to make our life in terms of how many patients we want to see. Mm. Um, and, and one thing that I've learned over the years is not being a slave to the business, but a business almost serving me. That's cool. um, um, and, you know, the problem was um, in that previous industry in the book business, as much as a great ministry and a great purpose, the metrics of that industry 
the last 10 years were just, you were going up, you just saw it was an uphill battle because we knew what was happening. We saw what was happening. I mean, you know, in most things in business, you can see the future, you can see, <coughs> excuse me, you can see where you're at. You can see some of the drivers, some of the key things fleeing. You think this doesn't feel right and this doesn't look right. You know, we saw what Amazon was doing. We saw the way content was anything that could be digital or zeros and ones in binary format that could be on a digital format that was going to go. And we, we thought, you know, the whole, even if you look now, the streaming, or when was the last time you bought a DVD, Aaron? Like, it's just, you don't do that anymore. It's just a. They're all, they're all. They're right all, there. They're all right there. <laughs> Mine are underneath my house, you know, and I've got a whole collection of them just because I can't let them go. Yeah, and I've got my old, I've got my old Michael W. Smith, DC Talk, Phil Collins, and new two CDs down there, you know, because yeah. I can't let them go. Yeah, um, but you know, the thing is, you know, probably the lesson from um, balancing time and family from my previous is you've just got to use the time you've got wisely, be strategic in what you put your time on, focus on what matters. So many people spend time on things that just don't matter and identifying the key drivers of what actually drives your business or your ministry ahead mm-hmm. and focusing on those things and don't putting effort into things that don't change the strategic direction of what actually drives your entity. So, you know, just don't get bogged down in, in, into all the, you know, the small stuff that doesn't matter. You know, don't get buried down in all the small stuff. Yeah, and, and you know, setting those boundaries, what you said before as well is, and that's a huge part of us as men having to, try and make sure that we balance the the priority and to your point you know task task prioritization and time management and one thing that i've been really big on recently is when i get in the door from you know that you know time at work and i'm walking in from the office i'm grabbing that phone and i'm putting it in the tray and i'm saying Mm. when i'm getting home from work that phone sitting in the tray for one two hours whatever that time frame is and then I mm. want to be present with my family, present with my girls for that time because you and I both know that if you don't um, separate yourself from that device, there'll be a million reasons why you want to re-engage that device for work reasons, you know, whether it be an yeah. email coming through, whatever push notifications you've got, people are going to call you. And it doesn't matter sometimes how effective you are throughout the day in your time management and your task prioritization. It's highly likely you're going to finish the day with outstanding agenda items that you need to close out for tomorrow. And it's just about setting those boundaries, isn't it? And is that something that mm-hmm. you, sort of, you sort of got got to do over time or you just worked? Yeah, it was interesting. Um, in, in the industry, I was in being the head of the buying department. So the content for the Christian industry pretty much came out of the UK and, and, and USA predominantly, and North America. So in terms of time zones and doing business, UK starts at 5, 6 o'clock in the afternoon. Um, so if I wanted to talk to the, the Brits about, you know, Hodder and Stoughton publishing books in the UK, or I wanted to talk to Thomas Nelson about the latest Max Licato book, that would be the first thing in the morning, like at five in the morning or whatever. So by nature, if I wanted to be doing business in real time with these people, I needed to be working at night when I'm home with my family or first thing in the morning when the kids are getting out of bed. Yeah. And you had to make choices and you didn't make those environments the priority over the family things. And my kids were pretty much probably the same age as yours at the time, you know, probably five, six, probably seven, eight years ago when this was finishing, but I was still, you know, Lana was maybe four or five years old uh, and Bryce, you would have been two or three, you know, the little kids. And that was when I was sort of finishing the industry as we knew it at the time. And, um, you know, you could have been always working all the time because someone wanted to talk to you about buying their lady and selling you some product from a country, wherever it was in the world, but you had said no 
I'm not going to be dealing with this now. It'll be there tomorrow. Does it really need to be done tonight? You know, yes, yeah, some things did need to be. You know, like a book like The Shack came out and they were printing 10,000 copies and you needed to put the order in today. And it just, and some things do need to happen. Like, this is pragmatic. You can all say the right thing. But reality at times, there is certain drivers that need to be dealt. But it needs to be not a culture of that comes first. It's a culture of, you know, the priority is the family and let's balance these things around. Just like you now, like, we get a patient rings up the emergency line tonight and their teeth their face is swollen up and they've got, you know, a major issue. We'll, we'll answer the phone call and we'll help them out. We'll do what we can to take care of our people. But it's not like I'm sitting at the office now waiting for everyone to ring up to book appointments for tomorrow. Yep. Yep. Yeah, it's true, isn't it? And, and it's it's kind of um, th- those boundaries are critical. And mm. I think that what you get is, I use the terminology mission drift. It's like yep. where you get this mission creep where if you don't set those firm boundaries and establish those no-fly zones, and there's going to be anomalies, right, to your point. There's going to be times when, you know, something happens and you pick up the phone and that. But it's men who neglect that home time, being present, you know, sensory overload as well. You know, because I'm, mm. I, I've, I, you know, one of the things that I did about five, six years ago is I actually exited social media. Yeah. And I've only just um, hopped back on under under this initiative. It's not a personal media page, but it's a mm. way of me using it as a vessel to reach people. But I, I have avoided it like the plague for the last plague for the last five six years because I mm. found it to be an overload of information yeah. for me personally. And it's yeah. like you know working out where your priorities lie in your day between you know how hard you want to go in your business life. What your mm. obligations are around being present, you know, in your family life, and then there's that personal mm. development piece too, right? There's there's the you and me time that you need to to to, to beat away at your craft, to sharpen yourself, to callous your mind, all those personal mm. development pieces as well, and then finding where that all balances. And it's tough, man. Mm. I mean, it's never been tougher in in history, I don't think. Yeah, and particularly at the moment, like in the last eighteen months, two years, like not only you've got all those usual things, but when you run an entity like myself. You've got the usual things, you know, you've got to take care of your business and run it. But now you've got the whole mental thing. So, like, with my team at the moment, I'm sort of, you know, we're obviously in lockdown at the moment and our work is greatly reduced. We're significantly shut by government policy, which is frustrating, but we've got to play the game and do the right thing. Um, And I've got a lot of staff that aren't working a lot of hours and they're not connected, but we're trying everything we can to take care of them here as much as we're taking care of them here. And keep involved in their team. So the, the responsibility to us are just not them doing their job and coming in and fulfilling a service. It's actually, yeah, above and beyond. So you got that and then the business and the business metrics and then all the usual things that you and I have just been talking about, um, trying to then fit all these obligations into balance it, not, not lose your own sense of where you're at is a real challenge and trying to prioritise those things. Um, and now this is unknown territory that we're in in this stage of our our um, earthly existence with what's been happening the last 18 months. And it's a different shift for us as operators and fathers and husbands and business owners and managers about how we balance all those extra unknowns in our, in our daily, daily activities. Yeah. And, and as leaders and as men, you know, to your point in business and family and these other environments, people are watching, like people are Mm. watching and, People have never needed better leadership than now, particularly in my generation. And, you know, there's such a a thirst for leadership and there just seems to be a a big cavity there at times on the leadership piece, you know, from a national and state level as well. And, And I think that 
this is not about knocking or getting into politics, but it's just referring back to the fact that we we time and time again miss the mark on leadership and how critical leadership is to navigating, you know, crises or, or challenges. And right now, you know, there's people looking to you, Craig, to your point in your business for leadership. And that might be on a subconscious level. It mm. could be on a conscious level, you know, yeah. and and people are angry and, you know, the isolation and the and at times the, the, the depressive um, environment yeah. is manifesting at work. And for a yeah. lot of people right now, you may be the only person they see right now. Yeah. Um, yeah. Between well, we, Zoom call. And they're, they're locked at home and coming to their dental job um, is their social interaction, it's their employment. Uh, it's their mental, it's their physical stimulation apart from walking the dog around the same five kilometres the last two months. Mm. Um, you know, I, I, you know, without getting too micro on, on management style, you know, I'm I'm conscious myself that I'm more of a, I'm always going to be the boss, but, and I don't want to overstep the mark in terms of the employer-boss relationship. But in this current environment, which is something different than we've ever, I'm very conscious of, doing a bit more of an are you okay approach and we're not overstepping the mark but just checking in with people on a personal level and just going that extra mile which is extra work for me but you know when I do see him talking to one of them to say hey how are you going you feeling okay you feeling safe and what you doing with your treatment how are the patients treating you okay at home how's your mum dad you know just have that bit more of a, a step up because people are just crying out to be taken care of all they this is what infuriates me. All they hear is negative, fear, fear, negative, negative, negative. And what I've noticed in years, politicians that succeed around the world have inspired hope, a better day, a future. Um, it's almost what the gospel is, you know, a belief in Christ. We have a security of knowing where we're going. We have a God who loves us. And we have a plan of salvation, have a future in God. People want to know their purpose, their future, where they're going, and, and, and knowing that God is there to protect them. From a secular point of view, people just want to know where they're going, what their future is. There's someone checking out for them, and we've got a particular vision for our country. And they're not getting it at the moment. All they're getting is um, fear, 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 the sky is falling, and not having that positive. Uh, although facing the realities, you know, where's the future going to be? Yeah, that's 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 spot on. And, yeah, it's it's never been more important to be – a fundamental leader in every environment that you can think of and people people think as well that you've got to be governing people to be a leader and i really want to challenge that idea that that leadership piece is is you need to lead yourself first before you mm. can even qualify to lead people and so that yeah. that starts now you know and, yeah. and exercising that leadership those leadership principles immediately in your own life you know and you'll be yeah. surprised how much osmosis happens from that you can be mm. leading people without even knowing it, you know. Mm. And so- I think one of, the, one of the things I say, I've got a lot of young, our team is pretty much a, a pretty young um, healthcare practice. You know, most of our staff are under 40, you know, probably, you know, probably of our 26 staff, probably 20 of them are under 40. Um, and there's been a culture, I think, with modern educational, modern ideology that we're talking about, there's always someone else's fault or someone's there to take care of it rather than, taking personal responsibility for where they're at. Um, and I encourage my teams, guys, you know, do some research, find out where you're feeling, make sure you make wiser choices. Don't just expect someone else to take care of you. You've got to be proactive in 
the future for your life. You know, go educate yourself. Go do some training. Go do some things. Do things yourself rather than expecting someone else to take care of you. You know, so the, the government won't always take care of you. You know, they'll say all the right things, but in practice they won't. You know, you need to take personal responsibility and have a personal vision about where you want to be. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Yep. And it's um, it's it's pretty powerful when people realize that. And there's mm-hmm. so much freedom in that as well. The moment that you realize that you're it. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like they Yeah. And that's that whole thing. It's, it's, it's not mum and dad or the bosses or my partner. I've got to make some positive choices. I've got to take responsibility. Now, the one when I talk with young dental nurses and starting up business, say, guys, you know, until you personally embrace our vision and make positive choices that you're going to follow our strategy, I said, you're not going to grow because you're not on board. You're not invested in what we're going on. This, we're helping, wanting you to grow and be trained in this industry and do, but you've got to, you've got to come with us. You know, you've got to make a choice here that's in the grey matter about where you're going and how you're going to do it. And until you actually do that, and rather than me being the bad boss, you know, telling you and making you do it, yeah, you'll just be a you know almost like a servant of the business. But when you've got some personal drive, you, you can be whatever you want to be. Yeah, prudent advice, and it reminds me of. Uh, I remember Richard Branson saying, I think someone was saying, you know, um, the, the customer's always right mentality, and, and if you look yeah, after the customer, everything will be okay. But he, he sort of replied and said, "Well, my number one priority isn't actually my customers." My number one priority is my staff because my staff dictate exactly what my customer experience will be. And if I prioritize my staff and I foster them and I nurture them and I and I and I give them the skills and you know the the resources they need to grow and become great operators, then in turn my yeah. customers will receive a great experience. And so, yeah. you know, fostering and fostering your staff is not mutually exclusive to the bottom line. They're connected. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? It's you know, like, it's, like, yeah, it's a really interesting point. Like Annette and I talk about this, my wife, who's my partner in business, talk about this all the time. Of course, we have staff come and go that maybe don't get invested in our business and you have a bit of a falling out. And it's disappointing you think, you know, you know, why do you bother? But I said, we will, when we look at each other, we come back to this same point over and over. We will not stop um, pushing our culture of um, team, we're in it together, generosity, doing the right things by the, our staff, going over and above, you know, doing the extra nice things. You know, we might get done over by the occasional staff person that doesn't do the right thing by us, but we will never stop who we are and the culture we're trying to create with our team and our business by a few bad experiences. Our culture and our purpose is bigger than the individual things that happen day to day, and we want our team to know that this culture is what we're about, this is what we stand for, and this is where we're going. And all those things that happen that can just make you a bit disheartened, think, oh, why do you bother? Never stop that because the team, once you give up, your team will just be lost because they don't feel they've got the same strength of purpose and character and where you're going as a business. Yep, and that, that's spot on. Spot on. So how do you go? You, you're working in re- what is really, uh, is it a female environment traditionally? Um, it's not, and it's really an interesting one. Um, yeah. Of my 26 staff, there's two gentlemen in the business. Right. So in terms of um, equity or being a, 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 yeah, a gender-balanced um, organisation, where sex is the other way in terms of employing all ladies. Um, I make a bit of a joke with the team that, you know, I should employ some more guys because the guys have been, you know, discriminated against. Um, but look... 
our DNA of our business, um, and this probably is an interesting, this is our, what do you call our secret sauce for our business. Um, we're all about um, compassion and people. And I always, whenever I'm talking to the dentists that have got IQs of 99.99, you know, they're all smarter than me, but the area that I feel like that I can add some value to our business and really give them vision and leadership is this is, when Aaron comes in to get his teeth fixed, when you're coming into your teeth, you have no idea what we're doing to your mouth, Aaron. You you you, know, you have no idea that Dr. Annette's getting in there and she's drilling through to the root and she's drilling out the pulp and she's putting a K-file down and putting some, some filler in there to deaden the nerve and all that technical. All you know that your tooth is killing and you did it fixed. And the way that you feel in that experience, the way we treat you, the way we inform you, the way you're feeling relaxed, the environment, the communication, all that stuff is how you um, classify your experience at our My Body Dental business. It's not the scientific of how we treat that cell down in the bottom of that tooth. It's the holistic approach of how we're treating you as a person and how we're communicating and showing you all the pictures with all the technology we've got to basically inform you in layman's terms about what's going on. So long story short, my team that I employ is, and this is terrible to say this, I employ on compassionate, good communicating, friendly, warm, caring dental practitioners. That's the first thing. When I'm interviewing them, I want to know that they actually care about people. If they're there just to go for the coin and do for financial returns, they're not going to be a good person. About all. They're all about the science and they've got a great academic science mind. Healthcare is about dealing with people at their point in pain and the ability to demystify the science of that and communicate that issue challenge and show them and lead them through their fears and concerns and their lack of knowledge and do it in a warm, caring way, that's what we try to do. And I've my experience has been in recruiting whoever it is that walks in the door, um, the ladies generally embrace that great communication um, compassionate understanding approach where the guys men seem to be more like engineers that we want to fix the problem but we don't care that Aaron needs to know what's about yeah. <laughs> and that's just very generic throwaway lines um but I've just found that that the ladies and somewhat have been a bit better in that in those gifts of communication and compassion and understanding and smaller fingers too in mouths also helps um this is just a Actual practical thing. I never, I never thought about that. That's you know, that makes got, perfect sense, though. If you think of your hand, yeah, you know, we're using instruments. You're not putting fingers down, but you know, <laughs> just another little thing. Um, and the more we use more technology, it's all computer, you know, scanning and all sorts of funny stuff. I got, I um, got, I got to admit, I, I would much prefer having a woman's hand inside my mouth than a man's for some weird reason. Yeah, yeah. there you go. So look, and I've got some great guy dentists and I've had a couple of good ones over the years too. Like there's no mm. um it's just the way it's rolled with our business. Um and as I keep going back the point is and, and Nett's big on this, it's not about when we look at a, a patient from a pure business point of view, like me putting the business head on, we never look at making how you make money out of that one treatment with that patient. That's not the way you, you want to see how I can help Aaron with his problem today and get him out of pain. And if Aaron has a good experience, Aaron will be a patient for a long time in our practice. And the economics will be because Aaron and his family will be forever feeling, we're like an airline. We want to have full seats every day. And the more Aaron's that have a good experience and they talk about it, that's how you, in healthcare, you solve their needs, you do it at a reasonable price and they keep coming back. 
Yeah, the the customer experience is quite often an underrated metric yeah. for um, consumer satisfaction because yeah. I can tell you that overall experience and there's a multiple factors that impact that overall yeah. experience. I've got to say, I've got to, you know, w- when I came to see you recently for that non-dental related issue, <laughs> um, yeah. and I won't go into that now, but it, it, it was a pleasant experience. Everyone seemed really happy. And yeah. and the professionalism of 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 the um, the dentist herself was top notch. Like just yeah. education's the key, right? I found her education just to be so her her communication was so strong. It was just good. Yeah. So without turning this into a sales pitch, we actually book longer on our appointments. Like we could crank things through a lot quicker just to fix your problem. But we tell our team members when I'm recruiting. This is the thing I say, talk, 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 talk to the patient. Let them know what the problem is. Answer their questions. Don't rush them through. Like churn it and churn them through. And yeah, our dentists come and pick up the patient from the waiting room. Most practices would have their dental nurse walk the patient into the room ready to be seen by the dentist. The dentist would do the work, then walk out of the room. Where the, our dentists are there the whole time. We don't have hygienists doing certain work, like which is like a secondary level like assistant to do the basic work. We get a dentist to do it because we want to have Aaron having a full experience with that dentist Um, because it's all about that relationship and that trust and that confidence that you're being taken care of. Just little things that we do because we think it's all about relationship with our patient, having trust with that. Now, the biggest problem we have is when we're really busy is you can't see your dentist or your dentist is away or your dentist is away on maternity leave. That's the biggest upset because people love seeing Dr. Annette and then Dr. Annette only works two days a week because she's got three kids, four kids at home. Yeah. Um, yeah. You know, like that's our biggest problem with our business is that we can't always get our patients who love their dentists to see them, you know, when they've got a toothache because they're not available because they're already busy with other patients. And we try to allow for that. But but that's a nice problem to have. Yeah, so you, you're certainly not modelling the, the what I call a sausage machine approach. You're not just churning them out. No, it's about no. giving you the space to to give them no. experience and deliver it. No, that's good. It's a good, good. My my one on one on business, and this is you know I'm not an academic when it comes to business, but my experience, volume mass market businesses are low in profitability. They're small margins. And they're not sustainable in the long term. They boom and bust. And if there's one tiny area that goes backwards, business can go from profit to loss. If you're in businesses that have got better margins, um, more sustainable metrics, they're a lot more sustainable and a lot more feasible to operate. So these big businesses are a huge turnover and a lot of things. They're working on these sort of margins. And if one thing goes bad, it explodes. Whereas if you're more of a sustainable, reasonable margin, you know, reasonable um, dynamic, you'll be be there in the long term. Yeah, I always say to staff, it's not a race to the bottom. No, ever. And one of the most yeah. challenging things is business in business is having the 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 gumption to say no to bad business or low yeah. margin business. And yeah. there are there are seasons in which that is easier said than done. Um, yeah. particularly when it's early doors and you're just all about cash flow, you know, in startup. Yeah. But yeah. as your business matures and grows, you can certainly start to identify those low margin businesses and you start to work out it's not a race to the bottom. And, yeah. you know, I'm in the service-based industry like you. You know, it's not product, product-based product industry, which back to your initial point, that's very 
clear classification and distinction between those two. They are very different. Mm-hmm. Um, is being product-based business and, and service-based business. But in the service-based business particularly, it's very easy to get caught up in in lowering your price point to attract a higher volume of customers or whatever that might be, depending on the scope of service offering. And yeah, um, and yeah I think you're better off framing the value proposition from a service perspective yeah. and therefore yeah. justifying how much people pay. It's like I always say to people, I'm willing to pay a million bucks if you can frame a million bucks worth of value. Yeah. If- and, and, and without getting too detailed into a specific business model, but without, we're not discount dental, we're not, you know, get this and this for a certain price. We're mid-price. We're not the cheapest in town, but we're not Collins Street where you're paying through the nose. And we're not, you know, and net, net um, will not accept dentists ripping our patients off. We will not tolerate patients being down over. You have one bad experience of someone being ripped off and they'll the word of mouth will kill your business and you're not being true to that person, that relationship. As I said earlier, it's a long tail in healthcare and services business. It's the long term seeing that patient. And we would rather be in the middle and see them all the time at that middle margin rather than rip people off and they're gone or you're working down low here that you just yeah you're doing lots of volume but there's nowhere to go. You, you, as you say, you're racing to the bottom. Yeah, and and if you are providing a service that has inherent complexity to it in some way, and some of those industries, you know, particularly the certified or or regulated industries, you know, like medical and 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 mm. dentistry and things like that, there there is there is a mystique to the service that the customer is never going to quite understand, and so I mm. think it is really sometimes attractive for businesses to gouge because they know mm. to a degree the customer might have an inkling they've been overcharged, but they really probably can't prove it. Do you know mm-hmm. what I mean? Whereas if, 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 if you go to an industry that's a little bit more simplistic and it's service offering and what I would call a little bit more layman, mm-hmm. then you're harder to do that, right? Because you understand mm-hmm. precisely what you're being charged for. But if you go in and the, and, the, and the dentist fiddles around in your mouth for X amount of time and there was some legitimate mm-hmm. charges in there plus some, mm-hmm. you're really tempting to just pad out those invoices. Yeah. But, you know, it, it, it catches up with the end of the day. Look, and you're totally right. Like, you know, when you go when, with modern-day cars, any nice sort of car, it's not like old mechanics. You're going in there plugging your computer and you have no idea what they're doing to it because it's all yeah. digitised. Same yeah. with healthcare. It's all, you know, private health insurance. It's all, as you say, regulated industry. It's all, you know, the capital cost of healthcare. What blows me away is the capital cost of healthcare in certain industries. Like there's even the government advertising campaign about the cost of medical devices in Australia being so huge. You know, um, it's not just the element, but all these unknowns that people don't know. But in spite of all that, people know when they're getting done over. You know, and yeah. if and what I'm saying is if I'm not going to fight with someone and argue about a price if they really feel like they're doing over, being done over. Um, talking about that thing, just a business element, we have a strict policy that, our dentists need to talk through the price of their treatment with their patient before they do anything so they don't walk out to the room at the front and say, oh, what, the, what was that about? You know, there's a thousand old door, what was that for? Mm. If people, you know, if you're going to get a check about a clean, it's, you know, people know there's going to be a couple hundred bucks. But if you know you're getting significant work, you, if you inform and communicate, people will trust you because you're being honest and open with them rather than doing the work on the side and say, hey, by the way, here's the bill. I've got a really strange approach on this stuff in that I um I'm willing to pay money for people to people who for things that I can't do myself. So it's like yeah. if you're a surgeon 
let's pay, man. You get that right, yeah. I'm stoked. If you're if you're a dentist, you go for it, man. I got no dramas. You want to charge me sixty yeah. bucks? You want to charge me sixty bucks to cut my lawn? I'll cut your hands off. You know what I mean? Yeah. It's like you know, I'll well, cut my own lawn. Yeah. <laughs> you know, another story is Annette's little brother, um, who was a snotty nosed little fourteen year old, thirteen year old kid that I knew in Adelaide when we were. He's actually one of the best robotic urologist surgeons in Sydney, in Australia now. And wow. Matt's like in his his hell's man. He's ten. He's thirty eight. He's ten years younger than me. Um, and Matt's, you know, he went to America, but Matt charges the industry rate for prostate surgery through robotics. But what Matt can do through a robot to save someone's life, the, the things that he's he's doing now that he tells me about, and I understand about this much about it, it's unbelievable. And he'll charge thousands of dollars for this treatment. I think people don't know that Matt studied for like 18 years. Yeah. He yeah. took his family to Los Angeles to go to work as a dog's body when he was 31 with a newborn baby and whatever, and took a loan for hundreds of thousands of dollars to learn robotics from this hospital. In, in like the sacrifices they've made, and you know what I mean. Like I, I sort of, there's no denying he's done well, and, and they charge a lot. I'm not saying, but people also got to realize people at these levels that are giving these high level services. I'm not going to complain about paying ten thousand dollars to a surgeon is going to save my life. Yeah, and. And just uh, it's like there's no such thing as an overnight success. It's like all the risk nah. and the, the payoff and, nah. you know, it's all, it's all relative to the amount of sacrifice the individual has gone through. So I'm willing to pay it. Absolutely. Correct. It doesn't bother me at all. And, and so, yeah, that's, that's always. And so, you know, going back to what you were saying. So, you know, I think that there is a, a really big trap at times in business management to <laughs> – and I don't, uh, to explain myself clearer here, there is a big trap at times to take shortcuts towards business growth. And a lot of the time, those shortcuts quite often can be laced with unethical behavior um, yeah. and they can compromise on integrity. And I'm a big believer that, and I've come from, you know, some, some corporate environments where uh, ethics is not in the forefront of business strategy at times. Um, and it's, it just blows my mind the number of times that people take that path of, path of least resistance to try and get aggressive growth in business, and it just ends up backfiring. Yeah, I, 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 that's such an obvious one to me. You reap what you sow, and um, you, 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 do, um, you try to cheat people, you overcharge people. Like Obviously, in business, you want to maximise your returns for you, but I mean, the normal commerce exists but we're talking things way above that or doing staff over or um you know doing the wrong thing by suppliers all those different things that, that we see happening in a appropriate business it comes back and bites you are you even just purely from a business metric point of view you take care of your suppliers you're gonna be at the top of the list when they need to when you're covid you need to dental gloves and no one's got anyone if you've been good to your suppliers they're going to supply you first if you're good to your customers and don't rip them off they're going to keep coming back to you you take care of your staff, you pay them a little bit more and you don't don't dodge them on things, they'll work a little bit harder for you than they will for most. You sow into people, you will reap the rewards of taking care of these environments. It's a biblical principle. It's And I've seen it in my life. I say to Annette, with all these challenges that we've had with COVID or things that have gone on in our personal life or challenges, God always lets us, we always land on our feet and we are always so, so blessed. Why is that, Annette? Because we seek first the kingdom of God. And all the dodgy stuff that, yes, we're not perfect, but we have a philosophy of trying to honour him in everything we do in our business experience. Um, 
And the minute we, it's almost like the children of Israel, when they stop looking at God and they focus on idols, the world falls to pot. It's the same thing in my life. When I stop honouring God and um, seeking him first in all the ways I behave in my business and I'm not being integrous in my conduct, it's almost like the favour of God falls off me. And I, I slap myself in the face whenever I ever get the thought of maybe not being focused on being honourable in my um, conduct. And I had a great mentor in my darling father who passed away a couple of years ago that has more integrity on his thumb or his little finger than I'll have in my whole body. Um, and that always is the Holy Spirit's on this side and my father's voice is on my other shoulder just giving me the, um, um, yeah, the, 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 the will and the desire to honour God in my behaviour. That's a, that's a really good point, Craig. How important fathers play as a role model, you know, for your integrity and your ethical compass is huge, and it's under you know, it's oh. underrated, isn't it? Oh, I, I, um, I, with my boy, I got two sons. Um, one's uh, Bryce is ten, and Bentley's just turning eight. And I know from my experience of my father. The hugs, the love, the kisses, the kind words, the encouragement, the time, all those things. Like I'll be kissing my boys until they're 30 and I'll always be telling them I love them every day and I'm proud of them and all as much as I'll also be telling them to say please and thank you and not saying what and beg your pardon when they're talking wrong and when they're being disrespectful to their mum and all these things. But I'll be sowing time and putting the effort in because the word of a father, the effect of my father on my life, I know my words and the effect it can have on my son as much as the word of my heavenly father on my life, um, they're very powerful words. And I think we as dads mm -hmm. shouldn't underestimate the effect we can have. And the, the whole point, I think with a lot of guys these days, that they're not having that father figure in their life, speaking into their life with the right philosophies. Because A, because a lot of fathers have never had fathers or they don't have the dynamics or the understanding of the power of what they've got to add to their kids. And secondly is it's not their priority. They're more in focus on their work 100% or their sports or whatever other their interests are rather than realising their kids. You know, like I'm, I'm not a passionate homeschooling person. It's not something I'd love to do in my spare time, but I also feel like when it's my day still when the darling wife's at work that I sow that time into my kids and my boys particularly um, that really make that impact pretty strong in their life. Yeah, absolutely. Let me just adjust this here for a second. Um, I've just had a battery outage on my camera, which is always the way <laughs> it's like, no you, try, you, try, you try and do these things, man. And, um, I hate tech, right? I hate tech. I'm sorry about that, Craig. You look very um, well set up, Ed. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I am. But I've got, I've got a lot to learn, man. I'm an amateur with this stuff. Yeah, you're exactly right. And, and that, that sort of refers back to, I think I mentioned that we were on that camping trip, um, this year and, and, you know, we heard we heard the the discussion around what is your legacy and what legacy mm. you're leaving, you know, and you're mm. just talking about your father just then and saying, you know, like you can say straight away, the legacy from your father was integrity. Mm. You know, oh. straight away. And, and, yes. and, yep. and, and I'm always conscious and it doesn't matter if you've got sons or daughters in this, I'm always conscious and cognizant of what, what am I, what am I leaving my kids? You know, mm -hmm. am I am I leaving my kids just a lot of money and ninety hour weeks of absenteeism as a father? You know, and just sticking yep. myself into work. You know, am I 
or am I, you know, am I giving my family, you know, time and, and, and am I investing in my kids and am I raising them up and teaching them the way they should go, you know? So, yeah. I, um, I look, my dad um, is the greatest impact and influencer. And what I say, he's not a perfect, like, like some things I say, look, wish he would have done a bit more of this. Um, you know, like, it, you know, it's really interesting how the world's changed and how fatherhood has changed over the seasons. Like, back in the day, like, my dad died in his late 70s, early 80s, um, 79 exactly. Um, but, you know, the father was the provider and the mum was more of the taking care of the kids and the family. The dad was work was 100%. That was it. Um, yeah. And uh, whereas we as fathers today will go to our kids' basketball games and we'll be in their kids' life more. The fathers, they, the kids went along with the fathers or the family's life. So I went as a kid sort of had a life of going to all the family business things and the family ministry things as mm. my thing rather than dad coming to the occasional basketball. That was just a different ideology back in the day, the post-world era. Not that he didn't love him. It was just the way the world was structured and the focus of fatherhood at the time. Whereas I think in our generation, because we have, um, yeah, regardless of what we say, you know, people say they work harder these days, I would honestly say from the economics that I see, there is more freedoms for fathers today and the world is more conscious that dads do have a little bit more freedom to spend with their kids. Yeah. Um, yeah. Um, compared to my dad's generation where it was just 120% work and that was it. I think it's our choice where we work these days and what hours we do, whereas back in their day, they didn't have the choice. Oh, there's certainly more flexibility. You know, like yeah. you look at some of the historical context around being a father when – you know, if you if you were working offshore, if you're in the mines, if yeah. you're in any sort of you know primary industry or agriculture or anything like that, you you would go missing for weeks. Mm. You wouldn't see your kids. You know, there was no way of Zoom calling your kids or or FaceTiming mm. them or anything like that. You literally went missing. And you look even during mm. wartime at the number of men that went went away for three, four, four years at a time. You know, sometimes mm. or or months on end on deployment at least. And, you know, yeah. there's entire chunks of time that men were missing as well as the hours they would work and the expectation from, from business. Yeah. yeah. It's really interesting, like, there's so many areas we can talk about tonight, Aaron, but, like, resilience, like, like my dad, like this is a perfect example. My dad, his mother died when he was 13 or 14, 13, I think it was. Him and his brother, were they would grow up in Sydney, um, were sent to Melbourne, they lived by themselves for two years at 13 and 14 in Melbourne in a house by themselves and went to Box Hill High School for two years at 13 and 14 before the family eventually moved down from Sydney and they just lost their mother, my dad and his brother, and they spent two years growing up like that. Um, my mother was an immigrant from Denmark. Her her mum and dad both couldn't speak a word of English. They worked every day. Mum as a 13-year-old would cook dinner and take care of her little brother and sister after school every day. You know, that was the life that my parents grew up with. Like, if we said this about my kids, so we'd, it just would never happen. Yeah. <laughs> but the resilience that they had and the focus they had to survive in that post-war era is completely different to the, the work-life balance that we all complain about these days. Yeah, it's precious. <laughs> you know, I think it's a bit of a different world. Yeah, no, it's a fair point. It's a fair point. Well, well, man, this is this has been really enjoyable. I've I've loved it. I think there's been some really special stuff in there, and particularly around, you know, that. I mean, I know we've hopped around, right? But that's kind of the point, you know. And I, and I purposely don't make these things too structured because I want it to be um, as organic and natural as possible around us exploring and unraveling, you know, some of the challenges we see as men, particularly around tonight, 
you know, the, yeah. the, the ethics, business, family balance. And I reckon we've done a pretty yeah. good job of rounding those out. And to yeah. your point, it's like, man, we could talk about this stuff for hours and, and, and we could really extrapolate out on this stuff. But at the yeah. same time, I still think, you know, there's amazing value in just sitting down with other men, talking yeah. about their journey, talking about what they've learned, what they, you know, what they believe, you know, is a good way to approach manhood, what is a bad way to approach manhood and learning yeah. along the way. And that's what this whole, this is what this whole exercise is, is about Indeed. trying to equip, you know, blokes of all ages and men of yeah. all ages to be, to be better fathers, you know, husbands, brothers, uncles yeah. and bosses, you know. Yeah. The amount of young guys that I have come up to me just want to have a chat about where they're going. People just want to have some someone to chew the fat with them to speak into their life because they're missing that father figure in their life. They're missing someone, you know, walking that journey with them. Yeah, there's a there's a massive void, massive void, and, mm. and I'm not saying that to be dismissive of, of fathers in any way. There's a lot mm. of dads out there that are doing amazing stuff under tremendously mm. difficult circumstances, but when I look at where men and particularly young men are looking to right now for an example, they're looking in all the wrong places. Yeah, you know, um, you know I see, a, I use this phrase, there's a lot of boys, you know, there's a lot of men, uh, boys that shave is what I say. <laughs> and, 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 it, and it is that, you know, there, there is, particularly in the sporting arena, there's a lot of blokes out there that, that really don't have a grasp on what, the fundamental manhood is and what it should look like and, mm. and unfortunately as well a lot of the a lot of the things we're looking to is not actually of any value to young men these days it's it's mm. what i call you know wafer thin um facade yeah. um and yeah. that rich stuff that that rich value-based stuff around you know and using those three key those three key um attributes is you know that truth that integrity and that courage and then expanding on those is mm. where i really see value being for, for men these days yeah um yeah, so, totally. so no i really appreciate it craig i know you're a busy man um albeit i know we've got covid on but that doesn't mean we're not busy <laughs> and and i really appreciate you taking the time to, to sit down and chat with us no. man. it's great talking to you Aaron. thanks for your night mate appreciate it thanks man